I'm not saying anything's authentic because none of it's authentic, but um, it's tasty. It's fun. It's tasty and it's delicious. You you strike me as a guy who who has a lot of hot takes. Yeah, man. I've I've I've, I've uh, <laughs> you know I have a lot of opinions, and I'm not afraid to kind of put them out there. So my guest this week is Dale Taldi, of course, from Top Chef fame. He's had a number of restaurants over the years. His eponymous Taldi, which opened in Park Slope, Brooklyn in 2012, and most known for cooking really creative Asian-American food, Filipino-American, born in Chicago, Dale Taldi is. And I was really excited about this episode. I mean, I guess I, I still am. Uh, we recorded at his newest restaurant, Goose Feather, in Terrytown in late February in a cavernous dining room. You can hear it a little bit, the echo. It was an empty dining room because we were recording uh, before dinner time, hours before dinner time, Goose Feather not open for lunch. And it's a little bit symbolic now to think that we were recording in an empty dining room because the dining room in Goose Feather now is empty. Goose Feather is still open as of me saying this into a microphone. Everything can change at a moment. Make sure you check the web before you try to order delivery or takeout. But that's all it is right now because we are in a global pandemic. And uh, so Goose Feather, which is this big, cavernous, beautiful restaurant, is just doing, like so many restaurants, delivery and takeout. And Dale is delivering food himself. And this is the world we live in, and it's very confusing. And if you had told me when I recorded this in late February that this is what I was going to be saying into a microphone leading into this, uh, I couldn't have believed you. I mean, I was riding a high that day uh, from the fact that we had such a good discussion, and I was in such a good place. Uh, don't forget, I am, I guess, technically, I'm still recovering from a heart attack that I had in late January. And... One of the things that has helped me come back from that is a return to normalcy and being able to chat with Dale and have an entertaining conversation was a return to normalcy. And I was feeling great. I was feeling great. But here we are. Here I am. Here Dale is. Um, and I've been holding off on airing this because I'm, I'm not sure what to do anymore with these interviews that I've recorded that are really entertaining food. I mean, look, we had a really entertaining conversation. Uh, we talked about Asian-American cuisine. We talked about being a celebrity chef. Dale had a great hot take on the term cooking with love. And yes, some of this is going to sound awkward now, this conversation, because the world has changed. We talked so much about the experience of dining out, the experience of being in a room of the vibe, of all the things that Dale does now to create a vibe. And that's not there anymore. And that's heartbreaking. So yeah, that part of this interview is going to suck. Me gushing about what a beautiful space it is. And you don't get that now. But a lot of what we talk about is entertaining and I think the thing that made me say, you know what, I've got this, I might as well throw it out there, is is there an appetite for this? I don't know, but you're all watching Tiger King. I mean, the whole country right now is watching this mullet-haired, polygamous, two-polyg... 
polygamists, I guess. It's not a term I use very often. Um, with tigers and guns and I look, if you have an appetite for that, you can probably stomach some really fun, entertaining, spirited food debate. So here we go. Me and Dale Taldi. The first question I asked him, I actually had to cut off the beginning because I asked him about opening in the burbs versus opening in a city that my hot take being that more big name chefs need to open in the burbs. And it's just the way the the discussion was worded makes no sense now. But I picked it up kind of toward the end of that when Dale talks about being a celebrity chef and how celebrity chefs don't always get the credit they deserve for being actual chefs. And Dale got heated during this. And that's what we love about Dale. And again, look, if you're in the Terrytown area and you want to support Dale, you know, as of me recording this, you can still get delivery and take out. So anyway, here's the conversation with Dale Taldi of Goose Feather in Terrytown, New York, in a cavernous empty dining room, which sadly is empty now. So um, I know I'm sending you guys mixed messages, but here you go. Enjoy. Check the resume. You know, for me. Um, yeah, I, I've been I've done TV. I continuing to do TV. Um, but I worked at I worked at you know, James Beard award-winning chefs um, through my career. Went to culinary school up in Hyde Park. Um, you know, opened uh, Spring Restaurant in Chicago. Opened Vong with John George. Opened with Carrie Nahabidi multiple times um, at her restaurants. You know, came out here, opened with Masaharu Mor- Morimoto. Um, did my thing with Steven Starr at Budokan for, that's still open 20 years later, doing $20 million. So for me, the food and everything else has to be dope, right? And And then I think... Because you have to win over those people, the people right. who don't know who you are. Right? But isn't that the thing, like, and this ties into the whole quote-unquote celebrity chef, like, most of those chefs were talented, respected, mm-hmm. earned their stripes chefs before they got any TV fame. Now, yes, there are some who they, they kind of slid in the back door in their personalities, and maybe they didn't earn the the acclaim before they became famous, but, like... Tom Colicchio, perfect example. Yeah, you see him on Top Chef, but Tom Colicchio, without TV, is a stud chef. Like, he doesn't need TV to be a stud chef. You just you gave knew your him. resume. Right. Yeah, like, you knew him prior to the to, to Top Chef and all the other stuff. You knew who he was. You know, you went to Gramercy Tavern because it was Tom, you know? I saw somebody I know recently, uh, a writer at Newsday, Erica Marcus, put on her her Facebook page that she was going to be doing a, a Q&A with Rocco Despirito, and there were chefs going on there giving her grief about how Rocco, you know, what well, he's just a TV guy and he was blah, blah. It's like, that guy was like a chef, man. Like he still she is, was, but like, but like people don't know that. They just, food and wine. he was in food and wines. He was food and wine. Best new chef. Uh, he was at union square cafe. He, um, right. He was a union square cafe or yeah. Was it, yeah. Or not union square cafe. It was union uh, Pacific. Union Pacific, Pacific. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like these guys forget like, yes, what, you know, the people who give grief to these guys about being personalities and stuff, it's like, you don't understand what, you don't understand what this is. And then, the, you know, the chefs who are giving other chefs grief are just haters because it's like, y- you know how much, you know how little we all get paid. You are actually segueing into another hot take I wanted to throw at you. So I'm just going to throw it at you right now, which is that exactly, you just actually basically just said it. People who hate on quote unquote celebrity chefs, you know, these, these, whatever you want to consider that, 
or, or like to throw the word sell out at people. They're just haters. Like, isn't the point to have success? Like, why would you turn down success? It's like they want you to be chained to a stove for the next 50 years and just die at that uh, stove. To get credibility. And it's like, it's like you know, it's, it's, it's like the art thing. It's like the art world, right? And I'm not saying that it's culinary arts, but what we do is a trade, you know? And it's like, it's, um, especially in this time that we're in, it's like you have to evolve. It's like not all chefs. Like, am I, I'm at my restaurant every day. I'm here all the time. Um, but am I in the kitchen? Is is my focus so myopic it's just the food? No, it can't be because I'm a restaurateur. This is my restaurant. My restaurant doesn't end when the dish leaves the kitchen. It ends and it actually never ends. The guest experience never ends. It starts with marketing and getting you into the restaurant. And it, it ends when you leave and then when you come back. And then the whole process starts over again, right? So it's... From when we get you to make a reservation, how we do that, your experience here with the food, the wine, the service, um, the vibe of the music. I mean, if you see me here, I'm fixing the lights more than anything and the music more than anything on a Friday and Saturday. Because to me, the vibe of the restaurant on top of the food and the wine, that is so much, it's so, so important, especially nowadays, right? Where there's such great, talented chefs everywhere, people will come back because the vibe is dope. And they go to some place because your wine list was dope. Your cocktail list was dope. And I can't be chained to the kitchen. Of course, I look at their food and, and that's my focus. And that's kind of where my heart starts. Your recipe developing, yeah. your training a staff. But like, think about like any other career, right? Like if you were, say, you know, working in an office job, you're going to start at a lower level and you're going to advance. And maybe someday you'll be manager. Maybe someday you'll even work your way up to VP. And you don't, you don't just yeah. say... Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm mid level, and I'm literally going to be that for the next fifty years. And I mean, I think the same applies to if you work in a kitchen, right? Like you have to start, um, you know, you have a station you work at, and you yeah. prep, and you you cook, and at some point you become, you know, sous chef, and then maybe executive chef, maybe then you own your own restaurant, and then maybe you build an empire, yeah. and then maybe you get TV experiences and all those other things. And good for you, like that's the point. Yeah, it's just you know, there's always going to be guys, and and that's the one I think the one thing that I that you have to be as a chef restaurateur who uh, has done any amount of TV or any notoriety, you have to be able to take, like, I'll take the hit. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the jab. You want to, you want to throw jabs at me and you want to criticize me? Of course. Listen, that's your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. Um, you're entitled to um, you not liking this cocktail. It's every, it's, you know, it's what's, what's so great about our country, right? You can, you can talk about it. It's freedom of speech. Um, but I'll tell you, come here and say it. Come and say it. <laughs> say it to my face. I don't mean it in that way. But like, hey, man, have you been to my restaurant? Have you been to my restaurants? Have you said that like, you know, you read the comments on like all the blogs of, of people. And I, I eat. You know, I, 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 man, I eat it for lunch, man. Give it to me. Talk, talk, talk the smack. Because I use it as fuel for fire. Because, you know, people that, that the people that will step on you while you're down. It, it will make your rise your your rise back up so much sweeter. And it says I'll make people eat their words. I love it. I love it. All right, let me throw another one at you. Now, you are proudly Asian-American. Right. And when it comes to food, for too long, any cuisine hyphenated with American was considered by food snobs to be, quote-unquote, inauthentic, be it Chinese-American, Italian-American, Tex-Mex, which is Mexican-American. And I just think it's baloney. I mean... You know, think about the way food changes as it migrates. It doesn't make it lesser. It just makes it different. So much of food is just about the execution. You can have 
good food if you travel to China and you can have bad food if you're in China. You can have great Chinese American, you can have bad Chinese American, but I just don't think we should, you know, look down upon things like egg rolls and general so's chicken and spaghetti and meatballs and hard shell tacos. I just think things can be celebrated for being a new version of it while still remembering our, our roots. And, and, you know, we can embrace what's new while embracing the past too, as long as we know the difference. Hard agree. I uh, hard agree. I mean, listen, authenticity can be really bad. I mean, who's to say that authenticity is like the pedestal that we all have to shoot for to some chefs that that's what they do. Um, Authenticity and also authenticity in like, isn't just available for everybody. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, I'm not in, I'm not in the Philippines. I'm not in Manila. I can't get this amazing shrimp paste that's there all the time. Which is, by the way, how the food evolves and becomes something It different. has to be. It has to be. So, and, so one, it's not available for everybody, so you have to evolve the food. But two, um, saying that fusion or these, hyphened um categories of food are 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 aren't um you know elite is saying to me that as an asian american my point of view doesn't matter because that's basically what people are saying if you don't believe that my point of view matters or that this food is good then you're saying that my point of view is kind of irrelevant which is it's it's it sucks and it's very indicative of where America is now, not to get into, into, into politics a lot, into too much, but it is indicative of where we are now. It's saying that the second generation immigrant point of view is irrelevant. Where, listen, man, I, I'm in America. I was born in Chicago. My parents are from the Philippines. And my style of food is just, it came to me and it's how I cook because I kind of don't fit anywhere, right? I'm not a Filipino. And in Chicago, everyone was asking me if I was Chinese, Korean, and like they would ask me last if I was Filipino. They would ask me if I was Latino or Mexican before they would ask me if I was. So, you know, it, it's it's our time. There's a lot of chefs like us. I mean, I, I look at David Chang as kind of like the guy who did it, right? He, David Chang, Roy Choi, they did it, man. Um, even more than him, um, the chef of uh, Charles Fan at Slanted Door. Let's go back even further. Charles Fan, Slanted Door. He started this, man. He did it for us. He planted the flag and said, hey, we're cooking like this now, guys. We're not in Vietnam. I'm in San Francisco, and we have ill produce here. We have ill. We're right on this. We're on the bay. We're going to cook. I'm going to cook my flavors from where I'm from, but incorporate it in this. And, and I'm that- glad you just said that, by the way, ill produce, to use your term. I think a lot of times when people see you know, immigrant cuisines, they say to themselves, like, well, you know, only like new American can be quote unquote, I hate the term farm to table, but it's a term that people understand. It's like, you know, you can cook other cuisines and use high quality ingredients and charge a, a, a little bit more. Like there's this misconception that like, oh, I'm eating Chinese food. It should be cheap. And, uh, you know, that's I don't think anyone's going to walk in here and, and have that thought because this space is one of the most beautiful spaces Thank I've you. ever seen. But you know what I'm saying. No, totally. I, I know a lot of restaurateurs who, who struggle with that, who are like, yeah, I want to go shop at the green market and get the best produce, but I'm Mexican and people don't get that. And it's like, what, what don't you get? I mean, look at what's her, um, the chef in Philly at the barbacoa restaurant. Look at her. You go into that place and you go, yo, I don't care what this costs. 
I'm getting myself a kilo of lamb and a kilo <laughs> of sausage. I don't care. I'm going to eat everything on the menu because there's only probably like 10 things on the menu. And I wait in line to get in here. You see the craftsmanship, right? I think there is, you know, there's a stigma to ethnic foods that it has to be cheaper. And a lot of that is upon us as immigrants and as people. We, we ourselves sometimes don't value this food as our food as much because we just, you, you talk to Filipinos, they'll say, you have a Filipino restaurant. You know, that grandmother will say, why is this so expensive? Like, like grandma, it's expensive because you didn't go to the store. We didn't have one person go to the store, get it, make it and serve it to us. I have 15 guys behind there that are all making this food delicious for you. So you can get this food in a timely manner in this amazing setting. And you, you know what people don't realize is you're paying for real estate. That's exactly. what really, that's what you're paying for. You're paying for an experience. Dining isn't just about going and. Why do you think anymore. Manhattan restaurants are so expensive? That real estate's expensive. Why do you think? Why do you think? To your point earlier, why a lot of chefs like us are looking at other places besides Manhattan? Bingo. Because it's not a financially viable space. You know, the roll of the dice is much. Uh, it's much more. Uh, it doesn't sway into your favor in Manhattan. It's more of a risk, you know, um, where it, when you're in a community that needs a cuisine that is dying for something. Um, yes, it's a risk because who knows if they'll pick up what you're putting down. But it's not as much of a financial risk because you're not putting millions and millions and millions of dollars into a build out. And another hot take I'm going to throw at you tying into one we just talked about, which is that the word authentic came up and I want to do away with that word. When I, when I had restaurant hunter, I banned that word from our show because it's a meaningless word. What is authentic? Even if you're saying, okay, well, authentic means how it's cooked in let's we'll use the Philippines as the, an example, you know, like, like seasick, right? Like mm -hmm. there's not one way to make that dish, you know, there's, there's, there's not one way to make any dish. You know, if you're Italian, there's not literally, and Italians are funny about this because some they're people, the they're the they're they the, have the most rules of anyone. Oh my god! All that DOP, but there's not, you know, the, you go 12, 12 nonas might make their ragu twelve different ways. There might be a base idea of how it's made, or you're gonna have certain <laughs> ingredients. But what is authentic? It's such a to me like I use the word traditional sometimes when I'm talking, but like to me, and then like to say like like your food, like to say like well your food is not authentic, uh, Cantonese here at Goose Feather, but like. Maybe it's authentic to you my, know, Cantonese American, right? Like it's authentic or, or to Asian me. American or whatever you want to say, right? It's authentic to and you. And I think that's what more what we need to be talking about is authenticity when it comes to you, right? Is does it come where is the where is it coming from? Are you just trying to rip somebody else off or is this are you trying to rip off a David Chang dish from 2015? Or are you trying to rip off a Eric Repair dish from 2004? Or are you using that inspiration to create something that is meaningful to you? And that's authentic. That process is now authentic. I ate this dish and it inspired me to do something. And it's not a ripoff. It's not exact. And what's a ripoff, right? Food's all been done before. Um, so I think authenticity is really, how are you creating the dish and where is it coming from, right? Where is it coming from? And I think, I think you're right. In my world, there's two cooks. There's good or bad. That's it. You, you're either a good cook or a bad cook, Right. You either you either don't take shortcuts or you will take a shortcut every opportunity you get. And that's not a great cook. Um, yes, there's ways to make life easier at home. Um, 
But the fundamentals of cooking are the fundamentals of cooking, right? Whether it's the fundamentals of like making rice or like the fundamentals of making risotto or, you know, saute or searing a steak. Uh, and there's, of course, there's a lot of different ways, but as long as you're holding to technique and you're, and you're, and there's integrity behind your cooking. And I don't, I hate the word, this is what I hate. And this is, to me, this is a hot take the word love into food. <laughs> you know, you and I agree so worst. much. I used to, okay, I used to get on my staff because, not even my staff, I used to get on when, when we'd be in the edit bay and a chef would say, cooking with love. Sometimes I would literally say on camera, okay, come on, what do you mean by love? Because I would like press them, like, like love is not an ingredient. And then, not to not to do a 180, but like I had a, a staff member, Nicole Rourke, shout out Nicole, who was a former chef. She actually still is a chef now, um, ran restaurants, um, came on as my coordinating producer, did some on-camera stuff on Long Island. And she liked the word love and I pressed her on it. I'm like, love, come on, what is this love? Like, and she's, and she, the way she explained it was she was like, well, if you don't have, it was almost like passion. Like if you're not cooking with passion and you're just kind of like mindlessly doing it and I kind of get it, but I also think it's a little bit overused and overwrought. Yeah. It's a cop out. I think a lot of people who don't have real technique and don't focus on their technique or don't focus on, um, and listen, you don't need to be a trained chef to have technique, right? You don't. You just have to be able to, like, what's a technique? Tasting everything. Right. Now, I will say this. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm straddling the fence here because I've always been on your side on this. I just, I don't like the cliche of cooking with love and all that. But then I always like to listen to people. When Nicole said that to me, I started noticing, like, the days I'd go and cook for my family and I just wasn't feeling it. The food did taste a little different. Listen, like, like, I, like you're distracted. You're not. Maybe you're not going that extra step. Maybe you're not paying as close attention. It's almost like a, like, like you know, like attention to detail thing, it right? It is, of course, there is, and no one's doubting that. But when when you go into some of these places and their first person, like, you know, the major ingredients love. It's like, no, it's not. It's no. probably salt. <laughs> it's not the major ingredient. It's probably no, salt no. and the way your ability to pr- purchase produce and understanding to, combinations of flavors and this is a trade. This is a trade. People need to get that out of their head that what we do is art and there's this like passion. Yes, there's passion about it and there's there's true artists in what we do. But this is a trade. This is a you know, this we learn how to we learn how to manipulate things. It's like I I equate this to carpentry, right? If you're a carpenter, right, and you first start in the trade, they teach you how to measure things. You measure it twice before you cut. This and that. They they teach you very basic elements of this trade and this skill, right? And then when you're kind of like at the peak of what you're doing, then you get to create, right? You get to get to the point where like, hey, I know how to manipulate this piece of wood, make it look like that, and and it put it in someone's home and let, someone will be like, that is one of the most amazing looking chairs and it's so comfortable and it's it's almost like a work of art, right? Same thing goes with this. There are, and then there's, but there's also very basic carpenters that, go in to a job and put framing up and that's their gig. They put a framing and drywall and they leave, right? So it's not cut and dry, right? So there's parts of cooking that are like, hey, I go to work and I put this pasta in the water and I put the sauce in here and I put butter in like the chef said. I put some salt, I toss it, I taste to see if the noodle's al dente and then I put it in a bowl and I send it out. And then there's cooks that, you know, make sure that they put a little pasta water or more pasta water in with their with their pasta. And they, you know, they really properly swirl the butter in at the end to emulsify the sauce. 
I mean, I think whatever you want to call it, love, passion, I think what it translates to is a greater attention to detail. detail, And also just a soul to a restaurant as it pertains to restaurant cooking. I think you're you're right. It is baloney that it's like the number one thing. But I will say like I can tell a difference between a restaurant that is like literally like some dudes had a concept because they thought it would catch fire because oh, oh, yeah, it's a yeah, trend yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's no soul to it. And it's, sure. and it's just like, what is this? I don't even know. And then like somebody who's like, okay, like this, like I obsessed over every little thing. Like you talked about before, like the volume of the music, the lighting, those are obsessive details, but that's, that's the difference, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like dining. Cause that's the thing, like dining out, like, people know how to cook now much better than they used to. They don't have to go out and they know how to like get on their phone and have food mm-hmm. show up at their door. To go out, it's more than just how does the food taste. It's it's theater. It's yeah. an experience. You're spending good money. You want to be entertained. And and it's got to go beyond, you know, especially if you're going to a sit-down restaurant. Mm-hmm. Not fast casual, but a sit-down restaurant. There's got to be some element that makes you say, I had an experience tonight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A theater. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, listen, I want to hear now from you. If you have any hot takes, you need to get off your chest. I know you just got one off. I, you're you're a oh, guy that has a lot yeah. of opinions. I'm, oh, gonna, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna pass the the baton to you. I have a hot take. I have a real hot take. Here you go. Okay. That if you close restaurants, you're a failure. And I think those uh, the computer the computer tough guys and the keyboard tough guys that want to. Uh, they want to, you know, say that you failed or none of your restaurants were any good. Or um, those guys are amazing haters. Um, but keep on bringing it because you know we listen. If you don't try, if you don't swing for the fences, you're not going to hit a home run, right? Exactly. I, you know, I, I show me a restaurant tour that has never closed a restaurant, and you will see there there isn't any. Restaurant tour, right? right now, right, individual, right. right? You know, I opened one and I've had it open for twenty years. It's amazing. It's a great story. It's fantastic. Um, the economics of that don't make sense anymore. They also, just don't. There's a lot of parallels between what you do and what I do in that you know it's hard to maintain, you know. TV shows don't last forever, restaurants don't last forever. But if you're not in the game trying, then then you can't criticize. I, I just like I, one of the terms I've always hated as it pertains to music is one hit wonder. Because guess what? That person had a hit. Yeah. Did you have a hit? Yeah. Like, do you know? Like, I've become friendly with uh, the lead singer of a band, Nine Days, John Hampson. He was on Restaurant Hunter a couple times, lives out on Long Island now. He, he still pl- plays with the band, but he's also a school teacher. He had, a, like, a number one hit, Story of a Girl. Did you have a number one hit? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's like, do you realize like how big that is? Like, like you made it. That's not a failure. That's making it. How many, how many Lady Gagas are there, right? Uh, yes. Like th- there aren't. But if you had a number one hit, that's not a one hit. You are a success in my book. A hundred percent. And you know, it's like, oh, your restaurant only, you know, Taldy Brooklyn opened for nine years or eight years. We were there for eight years. That's a great run in the restaurant Yo, What people business. don't understand is that run is like, you know, for a lot of people, it's like being at a place for 25 years. You know, like, it's like, literally, it's like working at a place for 20 years. It's like, I've been at this bank for 20 years. It's like, yeah, opening a restaurant and having a restaurant open for eight years, it's like that. Well, well, listen, I got to say, uh, I, this restaurant, like, one of the most stunning restaurants I've ever stepped foot in. Like, honestly, like, you, you, 
if you ever like read Bon Appetit magazine and you see pictures of like the best restaurants in America, like this, this has that, that aesthetic. It is gorgeous. Check out Goose Feather in Tarrytown. Dale, thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. And look, I cannot wait till that day where you all can see that beautiful dining room that I was talking about, that beautiful restaurant with the many dining rooms, Goose Feather in Tarrytown. I cannot wait till the day that we can all go back to a restaurant and have that experience because that's really what restaurants are all about. You can cook good food at home. You can, you're learning right now, you can get good food delivered at home, but it's the experience of a restaurant that makes dining out what it is. So I can't wait till we get back to that point. Um, but I, I was, I, as you know, in the in hot takes on a plate, I usually do dining tips at the end, and it's just a little challenging to do them right now. I mean, I was going to give some shout outs to some great Filipino restaurants that I love locally. I was going to shout out Carinderia. I was going to shout out FOB in Brooklyn. Carinderia is in Nyack. FOB right now, last I checked, suspended service, so you can't get them. Carinderia, last I checked, is still going, but they're weighing it day to day like a lot of restaurants. So I'll throw out those names right now because they're great places and I love them. But, you know, dining tip, I don't know anymore. So anyway, uh, look, that's going to do it for me this week. Again, we're here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. You can find me, Rob Patron, at Rob Patron TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hit me up and let me know if, if you want me to still keep doing these podcasts. Um, if you want me to change directions, if you need a distraction, again, at Rob Patron TV, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, let me know what you think about everything that's going on right now. And, uh, that'll do it till next week. I'm Rob Patron. Ciao.